With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, PK. How are you doing tonight? Absolutely fabulous. It's a gorgeous day. Light winds. Oh, it just feels so good. <laughs> so calm before the storm. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that's great. That's good to enjoy these peaceful moments. That's for sure. So we've got a terrific show tonight, a magnificent guest, and we're going to be talking about transformative magic and how our guest came to be so good at it. So we are going to pass all this on to you tonight with our guest, Vincent Higginbotham, the author of a brand new book, How Witchcraft Saved My Life. So we're going to get to Vincent in just a few minutes. But first, PK, what do we got going for the numbers? Numerology, what's happening? Firstly, I'm going to mention dates to watch. We talked about the retrograde last week. I'm going to reinforce it this week because until the end of this month, or I should say until the 18th of this month, we are trapped in the Mercury retrograde. So please, anything to do with electronics can and will get messed up. Avoid buying cars or anything electronics at this point in time. But between the 6th and the 15th, Mars and Mercury are in a tough relationship. So you've got to watch what you say. What's the old saying, loose lips sink ships? Well, you really pay attention to that element because I'm afraid we're going to uh, open Pandora's box if we don't. And oh you can look forward to the 31st when Mercury goes into Jupiter, at least that gives you some good ideas. But for right now, Libra New Moon started this morning at 7.05. So it urges you to be gentle, kind, loving, and creative. That's what I'm going to tell myself. Trying that approach is a good way to make it work out well for you. Because all this is taking place, so many things are happening. Try saying yes to partnerships. And try to do something for creating beauty or art or any type of work like that. And recommit to things that you really care about. It's going to sound funny, especially the romantic type. Even though we're in a retrograde, these things are still pertinent. So if you're not in a relationship right now, 
this new moon could introduce you to someone that could take charge or set your intentions for something special. So look for rather caring, open doors, be there to be involved, love up yourself. Now that sounds funny, doesn't it? But love up yourself because if you don't care about you, why should anybody else? So whatever and whoever you're especially interested in, keep those doors open because they may be around for a lot longer than you think. Just a thought. Hmm. That sounds good. I kind of like that. We've had so much tumultuous energy running around the world lately. So many strange things. Uh, So it's good to hear we have something good to look forward to with Mercury, Jupiter, etc. That's nice. You know, something I never thought about prior to this, this morning when I was putting this together is when the new moon comes about, we can write our what we call new moon wishes, and you write them by hand, you put them together, and you put your intention for it. You do it prior to the new moon starting, and it's a kind of an interesting little way of dealing with things. I'll put something together that we can possibly show on the website down the road. That would be great. Yeah, because yeah. anything that helps manifestation, yep. that's positive, uplifting, we all need that right now. And this is a good time to do that based on the new moon. So that, that would be great. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and leap is a good time because it's looking for balance, wanting things to be more gentle, more loving, more attractive. And we really want to put our best foot forward. We're kind of caught with our shirt tail caught in the door trying to go forward. But we're going to get that pull back and forth. <clears throat> and after the 18th, thank you, God, we'll be out of it. But between now Yay. and then, zip the lip. Would necessary. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've heard all of the chanting that's been going on on at the college football games about mm-hmm. Biden, and it's, it's pretty have. hilarious. But I have to say, German, you know, <laughs> you know, Kim, my husband, he is a former race car driver. I've been to so many races both sports car racing and NASCAR racing. And I don't know if you're aware, but at the last NASCAR event, there was a lot of chanting in the background. It was quite loud. Mm-hmm. And the person who, run, who, who won the race, his name was Brandon. Well, the announcer <clears throat> decided to change reality a little bit. <laughs> so as people were chanting, and we all know what that chanting was saying, um, she said, oh, just listen to that chanting. They're all saying, let's go, Brandon. Now, i got to tell you, I never laughed so hard in my life. I mean, first of all, it was such a bald-faced lie. That's not what they were chanting. In all the races I have attended and watched on TV, which, PK, you know, there's quite a number of them, yes, I have never, never heard a crowd chant let's go whatever the driver's name is ever (laughs) so (laughs) 20 years of all of this yeah that doesn't happen no it was in the the chance at all the other games that are being uh college games etc same one but (laughs) no they're not dipping their lip because they're expressing their feelings i think but it was just such a an illustration of someone in the mainstream trying to 
make us believe there was something else being said than what was actually said. I mean, and there was no denying it. It was coming across through all the loudspeakers and the television set loud and clear what they were really saying. So now I'm seeing it on The Simpsons. I'm seeing it as, you know, a meme. It's just, it's too funny. It was so blatant. I'm just still laughing about it. So anyways, I had to bring that up. And just anything that makes us laugh today, I think, is a good thing. But it does illustrate how how obvious it is about trying to change the reality that one thing's going on. Oh, no, 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 that's not it. Look over here. It's really, let's go, Brandon. So I'm seeing it everywhere now, all over TikTok, all over Facebook, all over Twitter. So People are making the most of that, and I think the joke was on them, on the person who's trying to change it. So it was, I'm sure if you go to social media, you'll see the same thing I did. But having so much personal experience with racing, with crowds, and with, with you know, all of it, I thought that was just a step too far. So, anyways, that's the song. Pardon me? I said even the ball games are having the same song chanted. To oh them. yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's everywhere. It was in Michigan. It was in everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere now. So it's it's what it is. We have to come to terms with why that's happening. So <clears throat> anyhow, as mentioned, we have a terrific guest tonight, and you know. It's not easy to write a book, but it's especially not easy to write a book when it's so personal and it takes a lot of courage to share personal pain, personal experiences, and then how you deal with that trauma in your life. So our guest tonight, Vincent Higginbotham, has done an incredible job with his very first book, How Witchcraft Saved My Life, and he has had quite a life. So he's faced abuse, homelessness, abandonment, illness, and from the depths of all of these personal tragedies, a practice emerged, and he was able to focus on developing his psychic senses, reading tarot, understanding the elements, and drawing in magic for positive change. So this book is, we highly recommend this book to you because it's a journey. It's Vincent's personal journey, but he also gives all of us guidance on how to work with magic effectively, things that work, things that maybe didn't work so well. It's it's just a wonderful book. So let's bring him on the show. Vincent, welcome to Supernatural Girls. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. How are you all doing tonight? Doing ah, great. We're doing great. Such a great. Yeah. Of course we would be doing yes. great. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely. Vincent. As, as I mentioned, we're very taken with with your book. It's excellent. And, again, such a personal story, a very personal adventure. And tell us, wherever you want to start is fine with us. How did how did this all come to be for you? You've been through a lot, but you've also come out the other side with great success. You now have a degree in industrial design from the Art Institute of Philadelphia, that's a tremendous accomplishment. So how did yes. all of this come to, to happen? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I guess I was just, like, born into the perfect storm, and um, I needed to learn how to weather it. 
Like, essentially, um, I just kind of, I don't know. I really believe that before we're human, we make an agreement to come and do what we come to the earth to do, right? And so Mm -hmm. ever since I was, like, a really young child, I always knew I I was meant to come here to write and deliver a message. Like, I've always felt like a messenger. And so this was evident as, like, a young child when I, like, fell in love with Hermes, um, the Greek deity of uh, the messenger of the gods and travel and thieves and invention and stuff like that. And then when I look at my life now, in hindsight, with everything that I understand, I can see so much about how, like, that being the first deity that I really resonated with outside of, like, Christianity – really makes sense because I'm a messenger and I'm a traveler and I'm an inventor and I do all of these things that just like totally align with Hermes. Right. And so I guess I just feel like that was just kind of the opening for me into a more esoteric kind of understanding of deity and, you know, um, spirituality and manifesting and things like that. But really like I had to, like literally weathered the storm. It was a firestorm that I was born into. And thank God I'm a triple fire sign because I really just um, thrived in that environment and found my way through. And there were lots of hard times, but what I know now because I went through all of it is that I can literally handle anything. There's nothing that can be put on my plate that I can't like work my way out of or work my way through or, you know, get to the other side of. No, reading your book yeah, certainly puts that to the forefront. God love you for that. It, you you prefer to be called Vinny? Yeah, yeah. I, everyone Great. calls me Vinny. Well, the reason they ask, I'm a numerologist, so I always have to dig into that side, too. I just thought I'd, I'd ask for sure. You've got to do your numbers, Vinny. <laughs> well, listen, I spell it V-I-N-I, so that'll ah. help you with the numbers. How about that? Well, you're very detailed, very, very much want everything by the book, and you're a hard worker, and it's got to be done positively, or you don't like to play with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> I um, I definitely, I definitely have my way about things. Like everything's got to have its order. Even in my day job, I'm, I get really mm-hmm. upset when people don't do things the way that they're supposed to do them. So like. <laughs> There's rules, and there's rules for a reason, and you can break rules, too, but you have to know how to break the rules within the rules of breaking rules. You like structure, and that's what's the most important Mm -hmm. thing. You were born to deal with structure. It's got to be by the book. It's got to be just right, and that builds a stronger foundation for you. And the stronger it is, the more in-tuned you become. That's what Mm -hmm. makes you so good at what you're doing. Yeah, definitely the more structure I have, the more capable I am of doing things. Absolutely. You came from a um, family that it, it just sounded so um, abusive, so traumatic. And can you tell, share a little bit about that? I mean, this this was all of your life? This was since you were a young child? But when did it all start? Was it right from the very beginning that it was this way? So I would definitely say that... Um, my earliest memories are filled with, you know, feelings of not being loved. Um, so, like, as a child, I felt unloved, especially by my mother. 
And um, that really kind of has persisted a lot in life. Um, she likes to tell me all the time, I do love you. So she knows that I think she does it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm still in contact with her. I don't speak to my father at all. But really, it's just my nuclear family that was, like, not good to me. Like, my extended family, my cousins and my aunts and my uncles, um, many of them have always believed in me and, you know, really rooted for me. Even when I was at the, like, worst of my, let's call it a misspent youth, right? And, um, mm-hmm. like, I have an aunt who is, like, in her 60s or 70s or something, and she always tells me, I always knew that you were going to write a book. So, like, she's very proud of me, and she has always been one of my largest supporters. And I have cousins who feel the same about it. So, like, it's not really my whole family, but that nuclear family that I was born into is kind of that perfect storm that I'm talking about. Like my mother is, I, I mean, I would, I would say that she's probably a narcissist. Um, and so it's all about her. And she doesn't really know how to like duel out the love to my siblings and me all at once, like equally. So she like mm-hmm. jumps from sibling to sibling and will like spend a lot of time giving them attention and calling them every day and whatever. And then she like makes promises and breaks them and all kinds of stuff. So that's, like, really difficult, right? And, like, that yeah, was my childhood. And, and it mm. persisted into my adulthood, but that was my childhood. And so then, like, I decided to leave that and live with my father, and that was a mess because his wife was abusive. And oh, was my both God. physically, mentally, and, like, emotionally abusive because she's hurt, right? So hurt people hurt people, don't they? And the whole issue was that she's hurt and she didn't know how to share the love of my father. So that was a big issue growing up too. And that was from like 12 to mm, probably 15 when I finally Mm -hmm. got out of the house and was on my own. Like that's when I really got away from the family. And it's interesting because I was like so tired of being abused. And I write about this in the book that I went to a friend and I was, she was a witch and I was not the practicing witch that I am today. At that point, I wouldn't even have called myself a witch, although I was interested and I was learning about things because, you know, Silver Ravenwolf was really big back then and it was easy to go to a bookstore and read the books at the bookstore. But, like, I wasn't a practicing witch. But I went to a friend who was a practicing witch and she cast a spell to protect me. And it was like within a week I was taken out of the home permanently. And I ended up in, like, a treatment center and then boys' homes and then youth shelters and then I was just homeless. But, like, all of this was actually better than being at home and getting my ass beat. Yeah. Okay. Right. Love you. Yes. Well, it's so helpful. You know, I, I hate hearing that this happened to you and that it happens to anybody, but unfortunately there are a lot of people who go through this, and it's so helpful to know. It's so inspiring to know that you were able to find magic and come out the other side. And your first experience with it, was so positive, so powerful. You got out. That's tremendous. So after yeah. that, you, you did you pick up witchcraft again, and, and how did you do that? Tell so, us about that. Well, like when I was 15 and my friend cast a spell, and then I ended up in, like, treatment centers and boys' homes and youth shelters until I was 18, until I aged out of the system. Once I aged out of the system, I literally ended up homeless. And I was in Dallas, Texas, um, where I 
I left. I was in Oklahoma at the time when I was like 15 and on my own and in the system. And then I left and went to Dallas, Texas on like the day before my 18th birthday. And I ended up homeless there within like two months and um, might be four months, but I ended up homeless. So like, while I wasn't homeless, I was kind of starting to dive into it because I kind of had that, um, you know, sovereignty to make my own choices and start kind of exploring spirituality from my own perspective. But then I was homeless. And when you're homeless, it's not really easy to learn and practice witchcraft when your hierarchy of needs are not being met. Like I had no shelter. I had no food. I had no cigarettes. Like I had to do all these things to make sure that I was able to survive. So I couldn't really even pretend to dive into it. And while I had friends who were practicing witches and I, and I came into contact with other witches and other spells throughout a decade of being homeless, I never really had the chance to super dive into it. And then once I stopped being homeless, it was all about college. So that was the only thing I focused on was art and writing and, you know, getting a 3.8 to graduate with, right? And so, like, that was my main focus. And because I had to keep good grades in order to keep a roof over my head because I lived in dorms. So Mm -hmm. that was the focus. And then after college, until about 33, I needed to figure out how to, like, navigate the world and not become homeless again by, like, keeping a job and, you know, figuring out how to pay bills and doing all the things that I never learned as a child growing up for my parents because I didn't have the influences that I needed to teach me how to and how to, you know, save money and be, uh, I guess, I don't know, productive human. And so, like, it really took me a long time to figure that out. But right around 33 is when it really started to click. And then it wasn't that long after I got married, actually, that I really was like, oh, now's the time I'm going to call in like my witch power and I'm going to like, I'm, I am going to identify as a witch. Like it, it came to me because I had learned all these things throughout my life and I had like, you know, dabbled a lot throughout my life, but it, I was finally in a place where I could actually commit to it. And once I was able to commit to it, I did. And so it wasn't that long ago really that I was like, okay, yes, I'm a witch. So wow. it, it was really quite a long road. It was a very windy and crooked path to get here. Well, well yeah, and you made job. it. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, that it's fabulous. just tremendous. So now, so when you decided this is it, I'm, I've chosen my path. I mean, but at the same time, it feels like you had a lot a lot of protection around you. And again, you mm-hmm. had witch friends, and so there was kind of magic on the outskirts of your life, more or less. And then when you found safety, you were able to really get into it on your own. But it does it does sound like it was always kind of there, right? So, I mean, yeah, I, I would definitely say when I look at my life now, I can see all of the influences that, you know, specific deities that I work with had in my life, even though I didn't know who they were. And I can definitely see how, I was manifesting things, even though I didn't know that that's what I was doing. And I can absolutely say that there is some form of protection actively happening all the time, because I don't know how I made it this far without getting caught or getting myself, you know, um, dead or in trouble or in jail. Like there's a lot of precarious things that I went through from like, sex work to drug trafficking to all kinds of things just to like survive. 
and to make it to this point. And so, like, the fact that all of that has gone down and I am unscathed and I can look at everything that happened, the whole time I was abused, the whole time I was homeless, and the whole time I had to, like, figure everything out with, you know, ramen as the only thing to eat, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade that for anything because it empowered me to be the person I am now. And that empowerment is where my magic comes from because I know I can do it, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's a very enlightened approach that you have to all of this. And, you know, it, it makes me remember how hard it is sometimes to let go of anger and resentment that things weren't better for you. But at the same time, you you seem to have come to terms with all of it and in a very gentle, yeah. loving way. And you've accepted everybody with their faults and, and aggressions and everything else, which I commend you. I don't think I could do that. I would be I mean, more vindictive. <laughs> I definitely would not ever, I won't speak to my father or his wife ever. I won't even call him, like, I only refer to him by his name, to any of his relatives or anything. And yeah, I only refer to her by her name, and I will never, ever interact with them, because that's a strong boundary that I have. Because the only way that I can really say, like, so here's how protection works, right? Protection works by setting boundaries. And then when you set that boundary, you, set, you remain steadfast to that boundary, and that keeps the protection in place. So if I were to break that boundary, if I were to reach out to them and let them into my life, then now they are able to affect me. They are able to cross my boundary and break through my protections, and I can't have that. So I don't mention them outside of, like, things like this where I'm like, well, my father or his wife or whatever, right? And I don't spend a lot of time, like, diving into that because I won't pull that boundary down. And as long as I maintain that boundary, I have that protection in place. And so that's, like, probably the most important thing that I understood first about magic is setting boundaries and how to maintain those boundaries with, with an iron will. Because if you don't, then, like, your rampart's just going to fall, right? And so, I mean, yes. you, if there's a hole, you got to patch it. If there's, like, brickwork that needs to be done, you need to do it, and you need to maintain it as much as you can in order to maintain that protection. That makes sense. Makes but a lot of sense, yeah. With, with all of that said, like, I mean, I would definitely say that I was angry for a very long time, and I wasn't angry at everything. I, I've never won look back at being homeless and been like, man, I hate that that happened. I've always thought, man, that was the best time of my life because I had so much fun. I mean, like, yeah, it sounds like this horrible ordeal and I don't know where I'm going to eat. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. But also it was kind of a blast. Like there was a lot of fun in that. And like it sucked sleeping out in the rain sometimes or like under a bridge or whatever. But like, there were also really cool times where, like, there were lots of parties or, like, I don't know, just things that I ought not talk about in public that were going on. And <laughs> it was fun, you know. It was just – it was a good time in a lot of ways also. And um, and then I, you know, used that trajectory and put myself through college. So, like, I really can't look at that and complain in any way. And so while I do have feelings about the people that hurt me – I don't ever look at anything with regret. That's great. 
And I think you brought up a very important point, that it's important to have good boundaries. And when somebody has, has transgressed your boundaries over and over again and hurt you repeatedly, it certainly doesn't make sense to keep that open. And it also mm-hmm. gives the universe a message that you're open to abuse. Sure, it's okay with me. See, yeah. I let these people back in. So it also, I think, makes for a good witch and a good magician to have good boundaries. Same thing. You've got to have good boundaries in magic also, right? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably the first thing that I learned about boundaries, and it took a long time for it to sink in and for me to understand it, but it's, I write about this in the book too. When I was like a kid, I used to see a lot of shadow people, and I was accosted, not really accosted, but tormented by this weird little devil shadow thing that used to walk on my windowsill at, uh, at like nap time. And until I stood up and I set my boundary and I told it to go away and that it wasn't allowed to bother me and it left, not before it pulled the curtains out of my wall and like got me in trouble, but it never came back. And it turns out I spent all these years thinking that I'm the only person who's ever seen this little devil thing, right? Like you hear about people seeing shadow people, that's a thing that you hear about now. Back in the day, you did not. But now it's right. not uncommon to hear about shadow people. My son tells me that he sees shadow people. He doesn't know how to call it, and he's never heard me talk about it. But he has told me that he sees shadow people. So I know that this is a common thing that happens. But I've never spoken to anyone who was like, yeah, I've seen like a cherub devil thing. Until recently, I have this friend who lives in – she lives in the U.K. somewhere overseas. Like, I'm not really sure exactly which country – but she's really cool, and she, like, runs um, this really cool thing on Instagram called Pagan Parenting. She's really awesome. Her name's Ra. And she, like, read my book, and then she was like, Vinny, I have to let you know, like, I, I've seen this before. And, like, I want you to know you're not the only person who's seen this. This is a real thing. And I was like, what? Like, I was just dumbfounded by the fact that because I wrote about it, now I get to find out that this isn't an isolated thing that only I have experienced. And so it's really yeah. awesome. To, to learn that I'm not some, that I wasn't some, you know, crazy five-year-old seeing those things. But I set that boundary and it's never been back. And, and that, again, that's why it's so important, especially with magic, I think, that uh, people have to be able to set that firm boundary because there are consequences if you don't have that and you do magical ceremony. Yeah. So that's so it's great that you make a very important point with all of it. Now, we've had a number of people on the show that practice witchcraft and magic, and some of them have shared their successes and their failures, and some of their failures have been pretty hilarious. So I was just wondering, how about you, your successes and your failures in magic? So all of my successes tend to um, have a lot to do with road opening and um, setting protections, and um, seeking guidance from the source, as I call it. Um, I work with Hecate specifically now and only, but, um, you know, like I am constantly reaching out for guidance and protection and things like that, and I have the best successes with that and road opening, so like getting, getting a roadblock out of the way. And the worst stuff that I ever do, like every time I try to do money magic, it just fails miserably. Like, I'll do money magic to, like, win the lottery, and then I'll get some crazy bill that I didn't see coming. It's, like, ridiculous. It never works for me. (laughs) So, like, it took me a long time to realize that I'm not supposed to do this magic. It doesn't align with my, like, soul's purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. 
right? Like, obviously, there's some reason that, like, money magic just doesn't work for me and, like, that it has quite an opposite effect. And so I don't do it anymore. If I, like, am trying to, like, make it from paycheck to paycheck, I'm good. If I, if I like, if I have a dollar in my pay, in my bank account the day before I get paid, I'm solid at this point. I'm like, great, that's abundance. Thank you, <laughs> you know, right. and I just, like, yeah. I just work on abundance for all things, right? Like abundance for book deals or abundance for, you know, podcast interviews even. Like these are the abundances that I am able to pull in. And so those get me so much further because I know, like, there's this whole, like, Instagram song where they're, like, exposure doesn't pay the bills. But really, I'm not sure that that's true because the more exposure I get, the more people know about my book, right? And that's so if right. I sell the book... So, I mean, I think that that's valid. Yeah. That's good. No, that's great. That is great. <clears throat> so, no money magic for you. Tell us a little bit about Hecate for those of, in our audience who don't know that name. Who is Hecate? Right. So, I'm actually, I'm so glad that you asked because tonight is the new moon. Well, it was technically at like 7.46 this morning or something like that. But no, um, five. The new moon is actually like a super special day for Hecate because that's Thepton. And so you'll take and you'll leave offerings for Hecate. And it's this monthly thing. And it's probably my favorite part of my practice because it's, A, this really good moment for me to clean out my refrigerator and, like, take all <laughs> the food that's gone bad or, like, that's been in there for too long. I just take it out into my, like, um, woods where I made a three-way crossroad because that's where Hecate wanders, Right. Um, she's also known to like wander or, um, to wander in the hills. And so I live in the hills of the, I live in the foothills of the Appalachian mountains in South Carolina, literally the town that I live in, their slogan is where the mountains begin. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I just, I go out into my woods and I'm like, Hey, thank you for all the things. Right. And then I'm like, here's your offering. I know that my goddess is not coming in physical form and taking this offering and gobbling it down. But she's also known as the eater of filth. And so when I take all this, like, expired food and I take it out into the woods and then animals eat it and I go out into the woods the next day and it's all gone, that's a very validating thing. And so Hecate is, like, the goddess of the witches and sometimes she's called the mother of the witches, but she has been around for an incredibly long time. Actually, um, Courtney Weber, who's a phenomenal author, just wrote a book about Hecate, and I highly suggest anyone who's interested in learning about Hecate read her books. And anything by, um, I'm going to butcher her name, but it's Sir, Sarita de Estes. I, I'm sure I ruined the last name, but she's a phenomenal <laughs> author who has written about the history of Hecate in like great detail and has taught a lot of history on Hecate. But Hecate has been around since, like, the earliest writings on Hecate were by, um, of course, I'm not going to remember his name right now. I want to say Hassad, but I'm probably butchering the name or, or also wrong. But, um, by the way, I always forget information when I'm trying to talk during a podcast. So <laughs> okay. if I just sound stupid, forgive me. Um, but anyway, so her, the earliest writings on her were um, written – like right around the earliest writings of the Bible. So there's evidence that says that it's very likely that Hecate has been a well-known deity since that predates the Bible. 
And I think that that's just this really interesting thing because here it is, 2021, right? It's 2021. Yeah. Um, 2021. And, like, she's still this relevant deity that's being written about and being honored and being paid attention to. And I just think that, you know, there's not a lot of deities who've had this, like, steadfast kind of um, worship or uh, partnership with people. And I think that because she's this deity of the witches, it makes a lot of sense because Hecate is all about empowering yourself and, and being unbridled and, and unrestricted and things like that. And so when I found Hecate, it was just this really great moment that was like super personal and I didn't know her name. And then I was doing this whole spell to like call my witch's power to me essentially. And her name is the only one that came out. I had a whole plan on what deities I wanted to work with. And instead of anything, I said Hecate. And I repeated the name over and over, and I did not know where it came from. It just, it was there. And then after that, I was like, all right, well, I better look into this. And then I did. And it was like three or four days later that my sister texted me just the word Hecate. And she's a practicing witch also. Oh, she is. Like I had told her about what I was working on. And what I had done, and then it was just this random thing. Like, I had found this really great information on Hecate, and as I was reading it, I get this text from my sister that, that was just the word Hecate. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? And then I kept <laughs> finding, like, dead snakes everywhere, like, constantly. Like, I used to work in construction. So, like, I'd be finding, like, dead snakes at, at every site. And it was just this really weird kind of thing. And she has this connection to snakes. And so I just, I really was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is what's supposed to be happening. And from there, I just dived right in. And I will never turn back. She is, she's my bottom boo. I love her. Wow. That's wonderful. Wow, that's great. That is, yes. And it's fascinating, the whole history of Hecate. So, yeah, those books are very helpful for people to look that up if they want to go further with with historical stuff on Hecate. What about some of the other deities? What about Santa Muerte? I have to mention Santa Muerte in October. Uh, have you ever worked um, with Santa Muerte? No, I don't know anything about that deity. I know that it. I know that it is a deity for um, from the Spanish culture, I believe. Yeah. Um, maybe specifically mm-hmm. Mexican. I'm not really sure. I yes. don't know anything mm-hmm. about them. So I would never, ever, ever work with a deity that I didn't really know. Like when I, like for instance, when I like found out, when I spoke Hecate's name, I was like, this is weird. Let me look into it. Because I knew that I needed to understand the deity before I was like, all right, I'm going to work with you. And so like, I fully believe that you should understand your deities before you work with them. And so research is highly important. But as far as uh, Santa Morte, I don't know. I think that they're a deity of, death i mean what i understand is very very little and um i would probably be extremely appropriative of another culture if i like even attempted to begin working with them at this point is that the case forever no i mean they might call to me i might like research and learn and find out everything that i'm meant to understand about it and then work with them but i don't see that happening anytime in the near future um Mm -hmm. i i I really believe that, like, your deities let you know when they want to work with you. Yes, I think that's true. So so Hecate is, is, 
it for you? Is there anyone yeah. else, any other deities? Okay. Who else? So, I mean, like it used to be that I would work with Hermes as well because, I mean, Hermes has been very present in my life since I was a child. Um, he's also known as Mercury, you know, in like the Roman pantheon. But more and more as I've like grown into my devotion to Hecate, it, it's been made clear to me. And now this is not the case for everybody. There are plenty of people out there who can work with Hecate and several different deities. But for me, it's been made clear that Hecate does not want that for me to like work with other deities. And that could change. It could just be where I'm at right now in this state of my practice. However, um, like I wouldn't say that I worship Hecate, but I definitely have a very strong bond, and I, I fully believe that I receive information and messages from Hecate, and that it has been made clear that I should not continue working with Hermes. And I think it makes sense, because Hermes was, like, another part of my life. Like, that was my childhood mm-hmm. and my homelessness and, like, my trickery kind of time. And now it's more like this – like this point in my life that I'm at now is about empowering other people and helping them kind of find their path and being a guide and a messenger and, and I don't know, just kind of really embracing magic as a whole also. And so at this point, there's no other deities for me. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do your practice for you, is this a daily practice? Or do you do this oh, yeah, once a I week? I mean, people are asking. I'm getting a lot of text messages about how you do your practice. So I um, can totally tell you exactly what I do every day. So I wake up at 3 o'clock. Well, 3.30. Okay, so technically I, I set my alarm for 3.26 because that's my birthday. <laughs> and so I set my alarm for 3.26 and I get out of bed at around 3.30 like four o'clock, somewhere around there. And while my husband is still sleeping, I have a candle. I always buy seven day candle. And um, when it gets about halfway, I go buy a new one. And I just go to the dollar store and get them because the tall white ones are fine. And um, I light that candle and I give thanks to Hecate and I make an offering, which I am going to keep to myself on my offering, but I I make a Mm -hmm. daily offering. And then um, I give gratitude for all the things I have. So, like, I'll be thankful for my job. Even if I don't like it, I'm thankful that I have it because it pays my bills. I'm thankful for my car that's older than my oldest son, who's 19. And I'm thankful for the (laughs) house that I live in, even though it's only, like, 500 square feet. And I'm thankful for, you know, the dogs that I have and, and the fact that there's coffee to be made and things like that, right? So I give thanks for all of these, like, mundane things. And then I take time to give thanks for all of the things that are, like, more magical, like the fact that I can write about witchcraft, the fact that I have a book deal, because I don't think that that's just mundane. The fact that I get book deals, I just finished my second book. Like, it's just, it's almost ready to be turned in for its, like, so you go through a whole process when you turn in books. Like, you turn in a book, and then you get it back, and they're like, all right, these are the revisions. So I'm about to do that first turn in with my writing partner for this book. And, um, like, we're just about finished it, but I fully believe that there is magic to me getting these book deals because I do these road openers and I, and I seek information from the source in order to write them and I channel the source while I'm writing so that, like, it's not always me. Like, sometimes I'll read things that I wrote and I'm like, that came out of me? Like, I have no idea where that came from. Like, I will write down information that I don't know I know. 
because my claircognizance comes into play at that point too. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of this whole connection to the source. So I do this whole thing where I'm grateful for all of these things. And then I'm grateful for being able to access these things and whatnot. And then I leave my candle lit and I go sit down and I write until like eight thirty, nine o'clock. And then I start my day job. So like, this is all part of my daily practice because writing is a big part of my witchcraft and always has been like writing is a huge part of my life. But I fully believe that like, the most magical thing about me is that I'm here to deliver a message. And so when I am like tapping into all of that, that's all part of my daily practice. It's magic. And like, I have an altar that I have a statue of Hecate that sits on and that's where my candle sits. And then right before I start work, I blow my candle out and I give thanks for it again. And then randomly throughout the day, there might be something that happens. Like I just got to raise at work. Well, I really feel like that's like part of some magic that I've been putting out there where like, I'm like trying to go for forward and climb a ladder. And so I'll like stop and I'll give thanks to Hecate at that moment too. A big, big portion of my practice, my daily practice is about gratitude more than anything else. What do you find happens with that, with the gratitude? I mean, a lot of people talk about it and say how important it is, but I want to hear from you with that, of of what's the difference for you when you use a lot of gratitude in your prayers and your meditations? So I think that when I'm stopping to say, hey, I see that this is happening, I see that this is a gift that's being given to me, and I acknowledge that this is something that I might not have been able to pull off on my own, I'm I'm – it's just like saying thank you to somebody who gave you a dollar or a piece of candy, right? Like it inspires them to want to give you again, to give to you again. When you show how thankful you are, even in your actions, even if you don't use words, but you use actions to show your gratitude, it inspires people to continue to give, right? And so like when I'm doing that, I'm inspiring my deity and the universe and the world around me to continue to provide for me the things that I need. And I think that a large part of that is also in doing the work that's necessary to, like, get what I want, right? So, like, I want to climb the ladder at work. Well, I have to do really well at work. And so that's showing gratitude for my job. And then I get things like a raise or a promotion. And it all just kind of, like, comes from being grateful for things. And I think that when you can stop and be like, man, I really hate having to work a nine-to-five job, but I'm so thankful that I have a job that pays my bills and that I'm doing well at it. Well, that says, hey, this isn't exactly what I want, but it's okay because, like, I'm very content with what I'm getting. And just as much as you, as you like, letting down your boundaries and letting abusers in, when you, when you are giving gratitude, you're, you're inviting the goodness in. That's a great explanation. Yeah, Definitely. It, it really does. Yeah, it's important. And, you know, I mean, what PK and I have been talking about is these difficult times we're coming into. And today uh, I was talking with someone who had just gone shopping. She went to Costco and said, you're not going to believe this, but, you know, Costco, people go to to, to bulk buy. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. less, a little less expensive, so I'm going to stock up on things. She said, Patricia, you can't, they will not let you buy more than one of anything. And I was shocked. I'm like, you're kidding me. And she said, no. So I said, are you talking, same there? So I said, are you talking about paper towels and toilet paper? Because I know they were limiting people on that a while back. And she said, no, I'm talking about food. Like if you come in to buy pork chops, 
from for your family, you can buy one package. That's it. And I was just like, oh my God, we're into it now. We're we're in a place of that where we we could get really nervous and scared about scarcity and the things that are happening with the ships out in the ocean not being unloaded and lots of other things, inflation being predicted at 30 40% coming soon, you know, all of those things. So I love what you're talking about, Vinny, because you're helping all of us here tonight learn how to focus and be grateful on, you know, for what we do have, and that that's what makes the difference. That will help us get through any of these hard times. So this is very important what you're talking about with gratitude yeah, for, for I mean, everything. Like- I think definitely if I were in a situation where I was like, oh, I really thought I was going to get three packages of pork chops, but I only got one, instead of me being like, dang it, I really wanted those other two, I would definitely approach it like, I'm so thankful I got one. And then it, like, it, it increases my level of mood. It increases my, you know, acceptance of the world around me. And it helps me just kind of come to terms with where we are as people. And it also, I think, helps me meet others on their level, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you have to, like, rise up to meet with people, and sometimes you have to step down to, to meet with people. And I think it's easier when you're facing the whole world with, to do that. Yeah, and I think it builds the energy of abundance that way. And it's yeah. not that easy sometimes because <clears> – no. The other part of the conversation I was having with my friend today was that she went to a regular grocery store, and she reported that a lot of the shelves were empty. And oh, wow. so it's that that same thing of uh oh, you know we gotta we have to be aware of what's going on around us and what's creating these these shortages and things like that, and we need to be grateful for what we have and express gratitude to get through mm-hmm. that. So it's kind of a an interesting balance, isn't it? Yeah. It's also important that people do what they need as their fair share as opposed to going into panic. That will create mm-hmm. more of a loss and create more yeah. chaos. <clears throat> hmm Yeah. Yes. You know what? My husband and I are very much like we buy what we need by the day. Um, like we don't have a whole lot of food in our refrigerator because we don't go to the grocery store for like a week's worth of food. We go to the grocery store each day for what we need for dinner. And then I might like get a package of like breakfast burritos that'll last me like all week, but there's only like eight in there. And that's like one package. Right. And so, um, or like coffee, like I have enough coffee. And then when I'm about to run out, I go get more. And I find that that really actually helps that kind of scarcity mindset not set in. Mm-hmm. When everything went crazy, um, when the whole pandemic started and everyone was, like, buying toilet paper like crazy, I said to Travis, my husband, I was like, what are we going to do if there's no toilet paper? And then we looked at each other and laughed, and we were like, well, I guess we'll just be washing our hands a lot after we wipe with them. <laughs> like, I mean, it was just a joke. It was like that problem. We were like... I mean, there have been plenty of times in my life where I did not have the money to buy toilet paper. So I had to make do with what I had. And often that meant, like, not using toilet paper and taking a shower or, like, doing whatever I had to do to, like, clean my butt. 
And at the end of the day, I look at things like, okay, this, like, fear of not having toilet paper, well, that's not that big a deal. Like, I mean, granted, it matters. Like, there's sanitation, things that are important, but there are always ways around it. And so, like, you know, if we ran out of soap, I'd learn how to make soap. Like, that's just how I would handle it because that's, like, getting rid of that scarcity mindset because at the end of the day, there's nothing that you can buy at the store that you can't actually go out and, like, figure out how to get yourself. Like, literally nothing is, like, unattainable. And so, like, we're, we're driven by capitalism to, to believe that we need these things. It's so interesting to bring this up, too, because this is literally what my next book is about. You don't need money to practice witchcraft. You don't need to have material things to get by in the world. There's, very, there's actually very little things that you legitimately need in order to survive. And that's your hierarchy of needs. You need shelter, you need food, and you need some comfort. And you probably need love. That, that's pretty important, too, I think. But, like, as far as I go, my hierarchy of needs is met with those four things. So, like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, I, I, my husband and I built a cabin out of a shed, and that's what we live in. And I literally have no mortgage because of it. So, like, it's so much easier to survive now. And then I can think about things like saving and not worrying about needing to store a whole bunch of food because I don't even have the space for it. Like, I have 500 square feet and a sun. Like, we do not need a lot. And humans seem to think that they do and that they need to, like, spend money in order to get things, and that's not true at all. And I, I am a living, walking testament to the fact that you do not need money in order to survive because I made it for a decade with none. That's, that's you. great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and you're right. We've, we've become these massive consumers, and it makes us very dependent in a lot of ways. And we do tend to get yeah. ourselves into debt uh, trying to get these things we think we we absolutely have to have. So, yeah, yeah. that's great that you wrote your next book is about this because I think it's it's going to help everybody get through the next hard winter that we have that we hear is coming. So, oh, yeah. yeah, this is all very, very important. Now, when you do your magical practice and you light your candle and, and you do all of that, do you also do you cast spells at that time in the morning or do you wait for certain alignments to do spell work? Um, it really depends on the spell work that I'm doing. So, like, I, I did some spell work around, like, the release of my book, and that lasted for, like, 60 days. And so every day when I lit my candle, I did that spell work because it was part of my daily practice for 60 days. And then there are other times where I'm like, oh, it's a new moon, and I'm really trying to call in this very specific thing or release this very specific thing. So I'll I'll base the spell work around, like, the first day of the new moon or the last day of the new moon, and the same with the full moon. This is not always the case, though. Sometimes... I have emergency magic that I have to perform. And so I'm like, okay, what do I need? Great, I've got clovers growing in my yard and some dandelion root that I just pulled up out of the ground too and this pine tree and I got some oak up here and, okay, I'm going to put it all together and here we go. Like, you know, I just kind of go with the gut on that and it doesn't really align with anything. So it just kind of depends. Like sometimes I do magic based on the sun and not the moon. 
And sometimes I do magic based on the time of the day. And it doesn't matter what the sun or moon are doing. It matters what the hands on the clock are doing. And so it really just, it, it just depends. But I do not do spell work every day. No. I mean, I, I do spell work as needed. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, I haven't done a spell for a while. And it'll be like three or four months later. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I still haven't done a spell for a while. And then, like, randomly, I'll be like, wow, I really need to get this thing. So I'll go do the spell work for it, you know. And so it just depends. Like, I don't think that being a witch is just about spell work. Like, I don't think that – I don't personally think that you have to do spell work to be a witch. I think that to be a witch is to understand um, the alignment of your energies with the energies around you in order to call in the things that you – desire to manifest the things that you need and so when I look at spellcraft that's just an added thing like you don't need to do tarot to be a witch you don't need to use divination at all to be considered a witch you don't need an altar to be a witch you don't need a deity you don't need candles like witchcraft is based off of what you are using to align your energies with the universe around you to manifest your desires. Mm, That's a clear definition. Yeah, it's a good one. So you talk in the the book about certain spell work that people can do and a certain focus also around this. And you talk about safety. I mean, you have wonderful suggestions, too, about how to work with the silence, things like that. That's silence. That's a tough one. (laughs) It's a tough one for me, too. Let me tell you, I'm a talker. I talk in my sleep. I talk when I'm doing nothing. I talk to inanimate objects. I talk to my dogs when no one's around. (laughs) My husband finds me to be very annoying because I talk all the time. But, I mean, I also know how to be silent. It takes takes practice. (laughs) It does. And for our culture, it takes uh, a lot, I think, to do. But this is now. How do you work with Hermes? You told us more about Hecate, but how about Hermes? How do you work with that entity, as above, so below? So when I was working with Hermes, it would be a lot about like um, I found that most of my work with Hermes had to do with travel and communication, um, and then retrogrades. Like we're in a Mercury retrograde right now. Um, as you were talking about at the beginning, PK. And so, like, it used to be that when I was in a Mercury retrograde, I'd spend a lot of time giving offerings in order to kind of get help through the retrograde, and it often worked. But then during the last retrograde is actually when it was made very clear to me that this was not going to be a part of my practice anymore. And throughout this retrograde so far, through through the beginning, like um, – I want to call it shadow. It's like the shadow of the retrograde before and after. So, like, we'll really be in the shadow of the retrograde until, like, November 1st, I think. And Mm -hmm. I think that we were in it for, like, two weeks before also. So from the very beginning, like, when the shadow of this retrograde started, I was having all these issues. And normally at that point is when I would turn to Hermes and I'd be like, hey, here's offerings, help me out, you know. Like, all I need is just your support, right? So I just give offerings and ask for support. But this time around, it was very clear that I wasn't supposed to do that. So I just kept saying to Hecate, hey, if you don't want this, I still need help. And then it just kind of all cleared up. And I finished my book, and I had no problem writing for, like, the duration of this um, whole thing. I even traveled to Salem 
right as the retrograde began, I got home. So, like, it was all just kind of, you know, a whole thing. But it used to be that I would work with Hermes and I would, like, leave offerings or I would light a lot of candles or I would just kind of pray. Like, a lot of my spell work, um, if I'm working with a deity for a spell, will, like, have to do with correspondences that I believe work well with the, with the deity. So, like, with Hermes, I used to use a lot of mustard because for whatever reason, that resonated for me. And um, I'd use a lot of feathers and um, just different things like that. Um, but, I mean... What kind of offerings did you, did you use, Vinny, for Hermes? Oh, I can't, I can't talk about my offerings. Oh, because, okay. You know, you have to keep something silent. I'm so sorry. But like, no, that's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, that's no, okay. It's personal things. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I can't break all the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want you to. Um, but I know people are going to want to know, well, what do you, do you know, what kind of offerings do you use for Hermes? But I guess it is a personal choice, and they can also mm-hmm. yeah. take a look online well, and, and see what... what is like, at the end of the day, that's the whole thing. Like, what I offer to Hecate every day came to me on its own. Like, and it's what corresponds with Hecate for me. So, like, I was led to that. I couldn't possibly tell somebody else to make the same offering to any deity because that their relationship with that deity might be different from mine. So, like, mm-hmm. I, like there's no wrong way to witch, right? Like, there is no wrong way to do this. It's all about how it, correl- how it correlates with you and what works for you and what messages you're receiving from the deity that they want. And so what Hermes wanted was very different from what Hecate wants. And so, like, the offerings aren't the same, but, like, they're very clear on the offerings that they want, for me anyway. And for other people, like, if somebody, it might be, like, taking care of a plant or feeding their dog. Like, these could be offerings. So it's, it doesn't always have to be this, like, super esoteric and spiritual thing. It could be as simple as, like, like using your partner's love language as opposed to the love language that you know how to use. So like these, these things matter. And while they seem mundane, they matter to the source and and the energies around you and the deities that you're working with. And it's not always Mm -hmm. going to be the same for anyone. So I would say to anyone who's like trying to figure out, well, what offerings do I leave for Harry's or what offerings do I get to Hecate? Like, if you want to work with them and you're trying to figure out the offerings to give to them, seek that information from them. Spend time with them and, and ask for signs and, and symbols that tell you what they want from you. That makes good yeah, sense. Yeah, that's great. Good advice on that, Vinny. Yes. Yep, exactly. Thanks. Now, do you work with the Fae at all, the fairy realm? I do not. No, I will not. I will never. Like, that is not a realm that I, I know a lot of people who do, and they like it, and they're, they enjoy it, and my sister is interested in it, and I have a niece who's very interested in it, but I refuse, because I don't know anything about them, and that's not culturally anything that I understand, and so I will not work with the Fae. I won't work with any spirit, as a matter of fact. Like, I refuse to, like, interact with ghosts. I refuse to interact with anything but my deity. And that's like a strong boundary that I set as a child. Wow, that's great. 
What yeah, about it work but I mean, well for you. I, I, we were all talking. I have no idea what anyone said. Sorry, one of you go. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, PK. No, I was going to say, by setting our own boundaries, the different things that we're attracted to or work on, it's hard to know what's the right choice because we try to be more realistic about if I go this way or if I go that way as opposed to just allowing it to evolve. I think that's the hardest part. What draws us to safety, shall we say, in making these choices? Yeah, you know, I think, like, in terms of what draws us, I think it's, like, a little bit of both, our decisions, right? But then it's also where where we're led by the spirit. Because at the end of the day, like, if we're being led to something, let's say you're being led to quit your job, right? Just up and quit your job and start your own business, for instance. And then you're led to it and led to it and led to it, but you keep resisting it. Things are going to get in your way with that regular job. And then you're going to see, like, pathways opening for, like, opening your own business. And you're going to see these things there. And you're going to be tested on them, too. Because, like, you know, anything that's leading you to anything is also going to make sure that you're really dialed in now. So, like, I think it's a little bit of both. Because you can choose. We have free will. So I can choose and I can be like, well, no, Hecate, I am going to work with Hermes, whether you say so or not. And the repercussions of that, who knows, right? Like, it could ruin my relationship with Her- with um, Hecate, but, like, strengthen the one with Hermes. Or it could have an opposite effect, and I could ruin the relationship with both of them. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it just depends. And so I think that, like, when you allow your free will to become one with the spiritual guidance that you receive, you're going to find the greatest, um, the greatest open road in front of you. You're going to find the most expansive um, path without obstruction. Sounds great. Now, mm-hmm. what about this? I know we've had, uh, we've had this discussion before with other guests. Do you tend to do magic when you're asked by other people or do you not do magic for other people? Um, I have done magic for other people. Um, I've never been, well, my husband asked me once to do magic and it's funny because he's like, he was really not into the whole witch thing. Um, I kind of came into it after our marriage and then it was like a, a little bit after that where I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And then he was like really against it. And we had some serious fights over it. Um, but then like he kind of started accepting it. And then there was this one point where we were having an issue and he was like, if you can do anything right now to fix this, like, please do it. And I felt so empowered and so like, you know, thankful that he was like, Hey, dive in. And then I did. And it worked out for us, you know, but um, I have done magic for, some friends and it was never them asking me it was always me saying hey I I know you're having this issue would you be open to me making you a candle that you light or doing this thing and so I'd always ask permission first but um it's it's pretty rare that I do magic for other people it's pretty rare that I do magic like just specifically for myself too though like I mean the the magic that I do is for the greater good of anyone involved, 
typically it's not just me, but um, mm-hmm. I do I do find that when I do magic for other people, it has extraordinary results. Oh, wonderful! That's great. That's great. Well, yeah, and you and had I, your you know, first positive experience with that with somebody doing magic for yeah. you. Yeah, and you know, I know witches who will only do magic for other people and never do magic for themselves. So, like, there's there's a whole dichotomy there where, like, you know, you could only do magic for you or you could only do magic for others or you might do, you might be somewhere in the middle like me and just kind of do what feels right when it feels right. Like I said, there's, like, really no rules. Like, there there are, there's no absolute. So saying there are no rules is kind of an absolute also, but there's no rules, right? And, And if there are rules, you can learn how to break them once you understand why the rules exist. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So um, talk to us about any specific supernatural event that happened that really, I don't know, just either brought you a sense of wonder or taught you something new about the world of the paranormal. Um, so <clears throat> in terms of the paranormal world, the most, I guess, paranormal experience that I ever had was in my childhood when I was seeing shadow people and the little devil guy that walked on my windowsill. That definitely <laughs> yeah, that opened my wild. eyes to the whole, like, I mean, it was, it, I've never experienced anything like that since either because I definitely put up a boundary. Like, I refused to allow those things to interact with me because it terrified me. And mm-hmm. it might not terrify me now, but, like, you know what? I was watching this show the other day it was on netflix it's called midnight mass and it's a vampire movie essentially which i maybe spoiler alert late but i just saw that i just saw that movie i thought it was great yes it's really good it's a a limited series so it's just a really long movie but it was so good and in it the the priest is talking about how like every time anyone has ever seen an angel they were terrified and I'm like, right. oh, yeah, that's a thing. Like, dealing with the otherworldly is terrifying probably for everyone. And I have no interest in being terrified. Like, I love to watch <laughs> horror movies. I love to, like, feel a little scared. But I refuse to allow, like, a spook to spook me. And so I don't allow it to be part of my life. Like, it's a very serious boundary that I set as a child when I was dealing with the shadow people and the devil thing. And like ever since then, I really haven't experienced things like that. I have very esoteric experiences with, um, with Hecate and the source and like channeling and, and understanding and things like that. And there are definitely times where I'm talking even in interviews or like when I'm reading tarot for myself or friends more, more often friends than myself, where I'll be speaking or I'll be writing, and then all of a sudden the things that come out of me are not mine. And I know very clearly that they are not mine. They did not come from me. They came from the source. And I think that that is probably the most um, supernatural or, um, oh, what's the word? You used it, and now I don't even have it in my head. Well, um, yeah, paranormal. Like a, a para- paranormal. Right, a paranormal kind of thing. experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would be that, like when I'm, specifically when I'm writing, the things that come out are just, like, I don't even know how it happens sometimes. And I love it. And it's definitely a whole feeling that comes over my entire body. Like I get tingles and the hair on the back of my neck stands up and, and I get super excited and I'm smiley or I'll like zone out. 
and I'll be like, whoa, an hour went by and I wrote like thousands of words and I don't even know what I wrote. Let me go back and read it. <laughs> and then I'll read it and I'll be like, holy shit, I said this? Like, where did this come from? Like, I won't even know. And it will be like factual information that I then have to like go back and source so I can footnote it and like be like, okay, yeah, this is a real thing. I didn't know. Cool. Like, just access to information that I don't know why I have is like a real um, paranormal experience for me. Um, I just, I know things without knowing why I know them all the time. I'm very, very claircognizant. I just know things. And it's really fun to play the game where like something will happen and I'll be like, it's a three. And then it will be a three, you know, or I'll be like, oh, I don't know, like, there's a red car coming, and then there's a red car. And it's just, like, those things are probably the most redeeming um, experiences that tell me that I am not an imposter when they happen. And that's very reaffirming for an artist and an author who is constantly experiencing imposter syndrome. (laughs) Well, you know, it makes sense that you would pursue – a path like this because it's really about transformation for you mm-hmm. and it's it's yeah. it's truly your path to talk about that with people and give them the the guidebook give them the message as to how they can do this for themselves so it's very different from witchcraft that uh interacts with fairies or with um other entities lots of them or they do ghost hunting or you know, house clearing, anything like that. So that's really not yeah. a part of what you do. It's you stay away from that and you focus more on becoming a more magical you. Yeah, I definitely like, I definitely want to see change and I want to, my husband, I love his death, but he says all the time, a tiger doesn't change its stripes. And I disagree And I will be damned if I am not going to prove it to him in our (laughs) lifetime that a tiger will change its stripes. A tiger can become a cheetah, goddammit, and I will prove it. And, like, it's just it's transformative magic. And I just, I fully believe it because I'm not the person I was at 18. I'm not the person I was at 22. You know, like, me at 40 is a completely different human. That human that existed when I was 18, is dead now. That's not even a living thing. And if you think about it, your cells change every seven years, right? Like your whole yes. body is, is renewed, oh. essentially, <laughs> over a seven-year period. And so if that's the case, then you can really kind of tap into that and be like, all right, here's a seven-year cycle. These are the things I'm going to work on changing. And you just gradually work toward changing these things and, and you know, molding your – kind of clay into the new sculpture that you want to be. And you're never done. You're a work of art that is never finished. I will be 90 years old and I will still be working on me because that's what I came to do. And that's what I came to teach people to do. Yeah. It's very clear that that's what this book is about. That's what your life is about, your message. It's all very coherent and it's it's a wonderful message, and I, I think everybody needs to hear it, you know, no matter what framework this is in, what you're talking about is important to all of us. It's interesting that you brought up the uh, Midnight Mass movie, because it's very much similar in the way the priest 
thinks that he's seeing an angel. Of course, all of us Buffy fans are going, didn't you ever see Buffy? This is a vampire, you know. But <laughs> I mean, the minute, the minute I saw it, I was like, that's not an angel, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he got that wrong, you know. But um, but nobody thought even I think uttered that word through the whole series, and I it was such an interesting, yeah. uh, and it was very transformative because the priest. I don't want to spoil anything, so don't listen if you're going to watch it. But, yeah, the priest comes to a totally different understanding at the end of this about yeah. what he's doing and how he's participating in it and why he did what he did. So it, yeah. it, it was it was a, a very fascinating but gory uh, type of series, so be forewarned, everyone, if you're not into gore. But it did make you think. And it did make you think about your own personal transformation and how you see things, how yeah. what your perception is. It, it was very startling. Yeah, yeah. Perception is just reality, and how you perceive things is what is real to you. But that does not mean that that is the case. And so you, yes. you've got to maintain kind of an open mind, no matter what you're doing, because yeah. of that. And Exactly, because they had that whole island full of people that were seeing yep. the same thing. Oh, it's an angel. The priest said it's an angel. It's an angel. Meanwhile, as viewers are going, no, it's a vampire. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was just such an interesting ex- exploration of change and life and death. Uh, so it's it's definitely worth watching for anybody who, who likes that kind of thing. But it's all the same message, you know, that how we transform or we don't. And we get stuck mm-hmm. sometimes. But but that's where magic really helps. It helps you out of that stuck place, right? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I think that, um, well, that's like my whole point is that magic can be used to help you kind of deal with things. It's not going to... It's not going to fix everything for you, but it's a tool in your toolbox that can be used to help. Yes. And it does help. I think it's very comforting to have entities that you have developed a relationship with that you understand on a whole different level. Like when you mentioned Hecate and snakes and how, you know, we remake our body every seven years, we shed our skin. So Mm -hmm. all connected. Um, and, and understandable in the light of Hecate. So, again, it's it's a whole different way to shift perception. And I think, you know, that's part of coming out of an abusive cycle is being able to shift your perception and to accept energy from a different place so that you don't run on mm-hmm. the same hamster wheel all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, so we need that. We need to be able to shift and change and move out of old energy that is no longer helpful or profitable or anything good. It's it's just a negative cycle and moving away from that into something positive that we can feel proud of and feel that we're uh, loved and a part of something that we respect and has integrity. So, but I think to do that sometimes it takes something supernatural. It takes something paranormal to have us make that that jump. Yeah. I agree. I fully agree. Like it just sometimes it just takes the right push. Mhm. 
True. Yeah. I Very mean, true. sometimes it's it's going to be found there more than it will and sitting across from a therapist, even though therapy is great and helpful. Mm-hmm. And there's many different kinds of therapy you can participate in. But I think that that uh, you need something to ignite that change that's so different. And that's what witchcraft can be or any type of study like that or experience like that. What about covens? Now, I know you're solitary in what you do, right? You don't I am, do a coven yes. thing. No. Um, I actually am very uncomfortable doing magic with other people. Um, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, I like, I, I like the idea at first. But anytime I've like worked magic with other people, it it's not comfortable to me. And um I think that's just because I have an approach that is just solely my own. And when other people are like, Well, this is what we're doing, we're gonna open a circle. Well, I don't open circles. I'm not Wiccan. And so like I don't do the circle thing. And I don't need an athame or a wand or any of these things. Like that's not how I practice. And that's not to say that there is anything wrong with anyone who is practicing that way. I fully endorse people doing that for themselves. But for me, that is not going to work. And so, like, I won't work magic with other people. I um, I recently was in a situation where I was like, oh, this would be cool to work magic with these people. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, no. I don't want to. This is not this is not what I'm comfortable doing. And so like I actually ended up putting myself into a situation where I was like, dang it, now I have to find my exit and I had to be kind and and silent and respectful until I had the right exit. But for me it's like if I go to a holiday dinner at my brother and sister's house or my brother and his wife, um if I go to a holiday dinner at their house and they all stand there and hold hands and pray, well I'm going to hold hands with everyone and I'm going to be silent while they're praying, but I'm not going to close my eyes or bow my head because that's not my thing. And as long as I'm being respectful while they do their thing, then, like, I'm not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. That makes good sense. Yeah. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. So the rest of your family, you have siblings, and you said you have a sister mm-hmm. who's interested in witchcraft and practices. And oh, yeah. what about your the other siblings in the family, are they all accepting of, of both of you and what you're doing? So, well, my brother's wife bought my book. So that's really a big deal for me because she's very Christian. They like go to a mega church um, down here in the South. That's like a super big thing. And so they're into that. And I, you know, I respect that. I would never be like, well, what you're doing is dumb or stupid or anything because I believe in Christian witchcraft too. Like I think that there, there's plenty of that. Catholicism is all that. So, like, I fully endorse people who want to work with the God of Abraham for their witchcraft. Um, I have an incredibly Catholic family. My mother is very Catholic. My sister, she has, like, you know, God of Abraham kind of stuff going on in her witchcraft, too, sometimes, I think. I'm not fully versed on what my sister is doing in her witchcraft because we don't share a whole lot about what we're doing. Because we both, mm-hmm. like, kind of respect that each other is on their own path. But, like, right. you know, like, my my brother and his wife are very, very Christian. And they ask me questions about my path and they want to know. And then sometimes, like, you can tell when it's gone too far or I have gone too far because I am the king of that. And I know when to stop <laughs> and just shut up and, and give them space. And um, with my sister, it's the same. Like, sometimes I go too far. 
and she practices witchcraft. So, like, I mean, it just kind of depends. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's all very different. But I have not, I have not encountered anyone being, like, rude to me about it in my family at all. So that's a good thing. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing to have that kind of acceptance in your family where you nobody's stepping on your toes and you're not stepping on yeah. on theirs either. So so that's yeah. great. It's found a balance. Oh yeah. I like I mean a lot of my family members who are very Catholic and Christian and whatnot have purchased my book because I think they're just curious to see what I put in it. But like, whatever. <laughs> Did he write about me? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, that's terrific! Gosh. So your next book, you're about to turn it in. You did turn that in, and it, when will that come? Um, out? I I believe that I will have it turned in by the end of this week or the very beginning of next, and um, it will probably take about a year to come out. Like, mm-hmm. it, the turnaround time, once you've turned it in, is roughly a year. I think I turned in this book, um, How Witchcraft Saved My Life, Practical Advice for Transformative Magic. I believe I turned that in around April or May last year. And then I got my revisions done by June or July, I think. And then it came out in June this year. So it takes about a year with everything, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's perfectly <clears throat> fine. My goal is to write one book a year. Um, I am, like, a really big fan of um, Chuck Palahniuk, who's, like, this really great author. He wrote Fight Club and, like, several other really great books. But um, I read his book on writing, and he states in it, too, if you want to stay relevant, you have to put out a book at least once a year. So that's my no goal kidding. Um, as an wow. author. And um, I don't know that I'll always write about witchcraft, too, because, like, memoir, obviously, is a very strong suit for me. And mm-hmm. I definitely want to write more memoir and probably not always write about witchcraft. Like, I mean, I love writing about witchcraft. It's so much fun. And it's really cool to, like, feel like, hey, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm saying. But also, like, I really want to write fiction and I really want to write, like, strict memoir because there are – I have idols in the author world and I want to surpass them mm-hmm. <laughs> in such a way. <laughs> Nothing wrong so, with that. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. Oh, well, this is a it's a great book. Again, everybody, the name of the book is How Witchcraft Saved My Life. It's by Vincent Higginbotham, and it is a terrific book. It's a something you should have in your library and it's a great book to give as a gift also. It's it's a very it's 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 a book that teaches you. It it's a book that can teach you a lot. And and it's again such a personal journey, and it took a lot of courage, I think, Vinny, to write this because it's very personal stuff about you and what you had to endure, and that's sometimes the hardest thing to write about. You so, know, congratulations. I get told that a lot. I get asked about the vulnerability a lot in like writing this, and I have to be honest when I tell you that's probably the easiest thing for me to do. Like being vulnerable no is probably where I get all my power. Yeah, like, I get so much strength out of vulnerability. Like, being able to say, hey, this is my soft underbelly. Check it out. Here it is. Like, it just gives me a lot of strength and power. So I would say that, like, 
I get it when people are like, that's really courageous or like, that's great. But I'm like, really? Cause it just kind of feels like second nature to me. Or <laughs> like, but I mean, I, I, I fully, fully appreciate it when people say that. Well, you have a lot to teach us that I can tell you. And we really appreciate you coming on the show tonight and sharing so much with us. This has been a wonderful, wonderful evening. So thank you. Thank you so much. Vinny. Thank this you. Been great. Yeah, I had a great time. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, great you got to come back us. for your next book. Yes. And of everybody, I just also want to mention, um, I know it's a little bit early to be thinking about your property tax bill, but I do want you to consider getting that book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It by Patricia Quintilian. And there's a lot of reasons why uh, it would be helpful for you to get that book. I, I'm just going to run the commercial, but we got talking and having such a, such a great conversation with Vinny. But I do want to mention that book again. We've got some things coming up in these big bills they're trying to pass that are going to increase your property taxes by thousands and thousands of dollars. So good place to start is with attorney Patricia Quintilian's book. And we will have another great show for you next week. Same time, same station. We're going to be talking about spooky places in spooky October. Until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.